Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yeah, break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. It's the Breaking Atoms podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Sumit, aka the Potty Mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the Actual Factual. Actual Factual Facts. We have the voice of Rockefeller on the Breaking Atoms podcast. And I, listen, it's been a very, very hearty and um, full of gems pod, a conversation. Wholesome. It's that, been wholesome. Wholesome. There you go. There's, there's the word. I'm thinking about bread, isn't it? Whole wheat and that, whole wheat and whole grain and that. Um, now, I'm so glad that we've been able to reconnect with Pain in the Ass once again, following the Reasonable Doubt series to talk through his career, to talk through the things that he's learned and to disseminate that information to you, the listener. Um, this is a really, really good conversation with someone who has been there, done it all, seen it all, and is going to be doing more things. Like, that story hasn't ended either. So, um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm really excited to have him back. And I learned a lot, again, as the as the Hofstan, mm. as as, uh, as I've been dubbed. I should make that an AKA, really. Um, I but, mean, yeah, I, man. I, had a, I had another AKA for you, but I just don't know if you want it. What's that? Just after your performance on the um on the Reasonable Doubt series, man. Phone plugs and harmony, bruv. The way you was moving <laughs> yes. on WhatsApp and email, you was moving mad. I'll say I, yeah, I, I every know. day. Yeah. Got this person. Yeah. Booked in. Let's go. Phone plugs and harmony, bruv. Phone plugs and harmony is a great AKA. I think I might change that to my actual government name. Bruv. Imagine um, that's on your birth certificate. <laughs> What's your name? Phone plugs and harmony. I wouldn't take you seriously, bro. You would be on no plane with a name like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. To be fair, it's hard for me to get on a plane anyway. True. Um, just because of the, now the new beard and and just the color of my skin. So that's a different conversation. Well, this is life, though, isn't it? Um, this is this is life. I'm not the only one that suffers this. It's it's one of those things. But now pain pain blessed us once again. Definitely. And um and this is this is more of an extended. It's an extended play of what you would have heard on the Reasonable Doubt series. Deluxe and that. Um, it's the deluxe, and you it's get the you get to him. You get to hear a lot more of, of his story, which is very interesting. Um, and inspirational too. Yeah, you think about where he's come from to where he's 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 he is now. That is an inspiration itself. Yeah. Because you know we're not supposed to win, right? Right. Like they, you know where we come from, we're not supposed to win. That's true. And he's done it all. Mm-hmm. You know he's done it all, and, and he is open to to sharing that with with us as the listeners. So yeah, I'm really excited, bro. Like he's a yeah. master and storyteller too. Yeah. Uh, yes. Master storyteller. Yeah. And, and ain't no jigger. Thank you so much, as always. Always. I'm always going to shout Ain't No Jigger out because they show love um, and they they really helped us connect with pain and that's our relationship to to kind of to foster and, and cultivate, but that's down to Ain't No Jigger. So Absolutely. much respect always. Right, so let's get into this, shall we? Pain in the arse. Pain in the arse. Okay. <laughs> I'm reloaded. No, I can't even do it. Dig See, we it. can't do that. We might, might just have to insert it. Yeah, we might just have to insert yeah, it. I'll just there, leave right? it, man. Chill, man. Leave yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. No, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. What? Yeah, no, do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. Oh, I see, I see. This is Pain in the Ass Breaking Actions Podcast. Check it out. It's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms Podcast. Today we have. See, we have legends all the time, but we have a voice, a voice that we, in our formative years growing up, the voice of Rockefeller. We mm. had the voice of Rockefeller on the Breaking Atoms podcast. He blessed us 
with our Reasonable Doubt series. Shout out to Ain't No Jigger always and forever. Every time. And we have the one, the only, pain in the ass. Fuck you, pay me everyone, because we have pain in the ass (laughs) on the Breaking Atoms podcast. How you doing, Pain? Okay, I got got one. I got one one. one for you. Hold on, let me start off right. Okay, okay, okay. So now the guy wants to be interviewed on Breaking Atoms. Any problems, he can go to Chris's Summit. Trouble with his interviews, he can call Chris's Summit. But now he's got to come up with Chris and Summit's money every week, no matter what. Ain't selling records? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you want to be on Breaking Atoms? Fuck you, pay me. No one's listening to your interviews. Ah, fuck you, pay me. And then what do you do? When you can't bother another dollar from the label, you can't sell a single in the stores, Chris and Summit light a match, and they interview Pain in the ass on Breaking Adams, motherfucker. Hickin' the pain! <laughs> you know what, yeah? It's almost muscle memory for you at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's funny, uh, you know, speaking of fuck you, pay me, I'll never forget when I actually told Jay that I had the idea for that. We were in um, Sony Studios, and um, he'd just come off volume one, and, you know, uh, I, I thought it was a very good album, a strong album, but you know he really wanted to emphasize him being that that street dude and that that number one rap guy. So um, I said, "Yo, I got the perfect skip for you, man." You know, like you know, with that whole hustler mentality. So I did it for him, and like I said, he just stood there silent, and I'm like, "Oh shit, he didn't like it." You know what I mean? But he's just mumbling in his head, and then he just walked right into the booth and started like spitting wow. some shit. And I think it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was. I'll never forget that time, the volume two, because I'd never seen him in the zone as much as I saw him that time. He knew exactly what he wanted. He knew how he was going to do it, and he executed, which is three of the major components that you know you need to make it in life: having a plan, and then putting it into fruition, and then executing exactly what you wanted to do, almost like a sports athlete. Um, that draws up a play and it gets executed perfectly and it's like wow they actually did it mm. you know what i mean we did the triangle uh, offense and it worked to perfection that was what what jay-z was like during that volume two time. it's really um it's i'm so happy that you feel so passionately about volume two because volume two is like my top three jay-z albums volume Absolutely. two like i know summit will say and correct me if i'm wrong summit reasonable doubt blueprint black album yeah, yeah. Right. The came the, the before the, the yep. beginning, the right. middle, and the end. I'm a like volume I said, like, two baby. Like, like I will listen. That album there. When I <sighs> anyway, we'll get into it's it. A great, look, we'll it's a great look. It's a great album. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I I'm not discounting that too. But I like a lot of Jay Z's discography. Maybe bar, right. maybe bar one. But at, but that's but to say that about an individual who has done more than what the 13 albums. If you count the collaboration ones, even even more. Yeah. To say that true, is incredible. True. To say that mm. is incredible right. because he's he he always says that say straight you know seven straight summers you know all of that he dropped incredible albums all the damn time and to do it at that level is yeah. is unprecedented so and we'll get to volume one and we'll get to volume two but Payne I want to start with you because we talked about okay. in the Reasonable Doubt series you talked about Ray Ray and you talked about being at Round the Grove penalty and the early beginnings of, of mm-hmm. your career in street team promotion and then graduating from that. But let's talk about you getting to Penalty Records and Round the Grow promotions and the importance of that and what you learned from it, more importantly, before you went on to Rockefeller. Okay, me getting to um, Around the Globe Penalty Records was destiny. It was definitely destiny, and I'll tell you why. Um, that summer of 95, uh, a friend from the neighborhood, one of the same friends that lent me the movie Scarface. I never saw Scarface up until that point. I was 17 years old. Um, I got kicked out of my house because my sister is in charge of me. She was my legal guardian. 
So we have gotten into a, a big fight or argument. So she kicked me out. She's like, yeah, go, go. You know, you have to leave. So I was not homeless. You know, I don't want to say I was homeless because my friends took care of me, but I was hanging out with my friend, uh, a very close friend of mine. And it was during the summer. So we would hang out on the street all night, you know, break, break night and, and just be out there. And uh, they would do these things, my friends, where they would say quotes from the movie Scarface. I was like, well, you know, what, what are you guys doing? He goes, yeah, it's from the movie Scarface. Have you ever seen it? I was like, nah, you know, what is it about? He goes, oh, man, you got to see Scarface. So my friend had the video, the VHS. It was a two-tape um, VHS. So he's like, oh, man, I, I would lend it to you, but I watch it every single night. I'm not going to lend it to you. I, I, I go to sleep watching it. He goes, I'll lend you Carlito's <laughs> So he lent me and my friend that I'm sleeping over his, his house or staying there because I've been kicked out Carlito's way. And it's like the early morning hours now. It's like, you know, five, six in the morning and we're watching it together and he falls asleep and I end up watching it like three or four times. As a matter of fact, I keep turning around because I'm laying on the floor. He goes, Yo, did you see that part? And he's like fully asleep now. So I keep watching. I was just enamored by the movie and enamored by the character that Al Pacino played in Carlito's way not knowing that later on it was going to play a very important role in, in, in my life. So the next day I say, yo, that was a great movie. Did you see that part where he said, hey, look at me, I'm standing over there. He's like, he looked at me and he said, wow, you sound nothing <laughs> like him. And I, I was so angry that he said that, <laughs> that it, it, it kind of sparked something to me that I wanted to perfect this, this, this voice just because he pissed me off or irked me so much by saying that. Well, uh, lo and behold, later on in that summer, that same friend wanted to be a DJ. He was very much into hip hop, like like we all were, and he wanted to be a DJ. So uh, we had a local neighborhood DJ that was famous uh, by the name of DJ Camelo. DJ Camelo is is very big in the hip hop community. Uh, people know him. He's a Colombian, like I am. Comes from Colombia, South America. Um, so he would go get records from different record companies. And he happened to go to Around the Globe, which was a promotional company at the time that was transforming itself into an actual record label. They were going to sign um, Capone and Noriega, who white labeled. White labeled means put out the record on their own. Um, this song, uh, I think it was it was L.A.L.A. or it was something else. But Neil Levine, the president of Around the Globe, decided that instead of promoting the song on his promotional company, he would establish his own label and signed them as well as Lord Finesse, who was very big at the time, who was an established artist. So that was a very big deal for around the globe slash penalty to sign such an artist like that. He was on um, right. Wild Pitch, I believe, and Wild Pitch was closing down. So he was left without a home and uh, ended up signing with um, Penalty Records, as well as another artist named Shabazz, Shabazz the Disciple, who was very big at the time, who was a Wu affiliate. So you're wearing the Wu-Tang Wu uh, shirt. So, I mean, those are three big acts at that time for a non-established uh, record company that is just, you know, getting off the ground. So they wanted people to promote on the street team. So they go to Camelo, Ray Ray, who plays a big role later on, says, yo, we're looking for people in Queens that would be able to promote, you know, this thing. He goes, all right, I'll go look for people. So he asked my friend who lent me the uh, VHS of Scarface. And he also asked my other friend who I stayed over his house, who was a DJ. Yo, they're looking for people to go uh, work at, he, he said work, but really they needed interns right. and people to, to hand out flyers. So he was very excited, my friend. He was like, yo, I'm gonna get a job in, in, in the music business. Uh, you know, it's gonna be really exciting, but I don't wanna go by myself. 
would you do me a favor and come with me to the interview? I'm going to meet up with this guy, some guy named Ray Ray. I was like, yeah, of course, I'll accompany you. So now me thinking this is a real job interview, as we get to the front desk, there's a, a waiting area, and then they buzz you into the actual offices. So, you know, he told the receptionist, I'm here to see Ray Ray, and then they buzzed him in, and I said, all right, good luck, and I waited outside. So something happened. I don't know. I guess they ushered him into a uh, conference room. Ray Ray was walking around. So he got to the front desk and he said, there's someone here to see me. Like I was paged. And then uh, they said, yeah, he's waiting for you in the conference room. So he looks at me sitting there in the waiting area and he goes, is that you? I said, no, no, no. It's my friend. He goes, all right, well, you too. Come on, come on, let's go. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know if my friend was going to get mad because I thought he was doing a job interview. I didn't realize that, you know, they were looking for street teams. So it was like a bunch of people, but it changed the future, which is something that I always talk about my friend changing the future that he came and said, come in because I would have never went in on my own. And little did I know that that would eventually be the domino effect that would lead me on the album and Jay-Z's album, that is, and changed my life. And also that same friend is the friend that lent me that movie that again would change my life. So that's Tenzer, right. oh, by the Tenzer. way. Wow. That I'm referring to. Yeah, that's Tenzer. Yeah, Tenzer is is like my brother and 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 the, and the one that really changed my life. And so I go into the conference room, and his face when I first get in there, Tenzer, because you know he's like, you know, what the f are you doing? What are you doing here? I'm like, no, no, no this guy told me to come in. So he walks in. Ray Ray's a real cool guy, real music industry kind of like cool guy that like they're hip and everything. He goes, yeah, we need two guys, you know, like you to, to be in Queens and hand out the things. So my friend Tenzer relaxed a little bit because like all right cool better we could both do it you know and um my friend Tenza had so much hunger at that time at such an early age that he also pushed me to do things that i i would normally have not done because of the things right. that i went through you know he was also a very main component in in the whole um picture and the whole story of pain in the ass they wouldn't be one if it wasn't for tensor so here we are in this conference room they give us a stack of stickers they're like you know go out there and promote and like I said, he had so much hunger that he wouldn't allow me even. I'd be like, yo, let's throw this away. You know, like they're never going to know we didn't put it up. You know, he's like, no, 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 no. We, we've got to show them how hungry we are. And and that kind of like changed everything for me, too, because I was like, yeah, he's right. You know, you are a reflection of what you do. Your name means something. So name meaning something is very important, too, because Tenzer is the one that told me that I don't sound like um, Carlito's way and, and irked me so much that made me want to do it. So at that time, prior to that, you know, you're, you're into hip hop. You want to do hip hop yourself. So I had like a hip hop right. name that I had with this group. So at the time, um, Old Dirty Bastard was out. The Brat was out. So I wanted to name myself something because, you know, naming yourself in hip hop is very much comes from the elements of hip hop. So being one of them graffiti. So graffiti, you would moniker yourself after something that's maybe negative in your life you know so for instance if you have a big nose and people are like oh you know they make fun of you your whole life for having a big nose you would tag up big nose big nose like put it in your face yeah. you know what i mean like yeah you're right not only do you have a big nose but I i'm gonna flip that and turn that into a positive i'm the big nose guy a la humpty hump or, or, or whatever so i was always like annoying people and um like i said the brat old dirty bat i liked the way the way they were going i liked that at that lane i was like oh what can i say that is about me that i can flip i'm like yeah i always piss people off i'm a pain in the ass man i'm a pain in the ass so i started calling myself that 
And Tenzer, when we got to around the globe penalty, when I would introduce myself, I would say, yo, what's up? I'm paying an ass and he would get mad. He was like, yo, stop. You're going to get us kicked out of here. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But again, the very rebellious nature of me, like with the Carlitos way, and he's saying you don't sound like him, made me want to do it even more. And I think that's what pain in the ass represents for me. I don't, I don't purposely piss people off, but I'm very much rebellious right. like hip hop. I'm against the grain. I'm uh, against the machine. Uh, you tell me not to do something. And not that I, I, I do it purposely to piss you off. It's just for you telling me I can't do that sparks something in me and makes me so angry to the point that now I want it and I have to do it. And I think that's what the culture represents right. for me. Right. Jay-Z being a perfect example. We're not going to sign you. You're not good enough. Oh, yeah, I'll show you. I'm going to be so tenacious and I'm going to keep going and going until you have to sign me. So with the pain in the ass thing, it's I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to keep going and going until I get what I want. And sometimes that pisses people off. But it's funny because, like I said, Tenzer didn't really like me referring to myself as pain in the asses or he's thinking that we're going to be pain in the asses. And it leads to Ray Ray getting to Rockefeller. And when I first meet Jay-Z, I stick my hand out. I'm like, yo, what's up? Pain in the ass. And he's like, you know what? what? But I think also um, it's notability. It's, it's, it's remembering people. You know, if, if, if you do something and people remember you or remember your mm. name by, you're always going to be subconsciously in their mind. So I think that was a very good technique to uh, getting closer, and especially in the music business and, and in the hip hop world. To name yourself pain in the ass and, and to put that out there already is, is 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 establishing something with these people like oh okay what are you about you know you're a pain in the ass well, well well let's see or you know one thing i always get when at the beginning was like i'm pain in the ass like nah you're not a pain in the ass daryl's a pain in the ass you know what i mean like, so it's cool because you you know you you kind of like um pull people in pull, pull people in in your there's, own there's way there's a there's a thing that kane always talks about is originality and pain in the ass has that the name itself is so original, right? And that's, again, in the essence of hip-hop at that time. The other thing I want to say is Tenza is right. such a hard name. That is a yeah, I, what I, a I thought name. that was a, was it a made-up name or that's his government name? No, Tenza is a, a, like a, a hip-hop tag that he, he would write. You know, like I said, he's very much into the hip-hop and the elements of hip-hop. That's one thing that I think gets lost in today's culture is that when you are a fan of hip-hop, you're not just a fan, you live it. That's one of the only genres where you actually live the genre. You know, rock and roll, yeah, a little bit, maybe, you know, with the long hair and, and, and the people paint their face or whatever. Smooth jazz or jazz in itself. You don't live it. You enjoy it. You appreciate it. You know, it's in the background of your life or, or, or you know, any other kind of music. Whitney Houston, you know, these are, these are music. These are soundtracks to our lives. But you don't live that music, you know, whereas in this culture you do. So... Being a fan at that time in the mid '90s, you lived it. You 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 were writing graffiti. You 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 had the hip hop monikers like like me, that tag name. You would do uh, break dancing, or you would dance in some way, or you would DJ. You would do something that was part of those five elements that make up the the, the recipe that makes up hip hop. You were you were living that. So that was his tag name, Tenzer. His real name is Mike, but um, Tenzer was you know something that I think um, the Tenzer comes from. It's a, 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 a flipping on zero to 10. Like, you know, I, I could go zero to 60. Right. So like you put the 10 at the beginning, 10 zero, like I'm, I'm 10 to zero, okay. you know. So that was it's like hard a name. Hard name. Thing, yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that. I like yeah. that. So, you know, you, your, your, your voice becomes synonymous with Jay-Z after Reasonable Doubt, but you return for volume one 
and volume two. Right. Talk about right. your intro on volume one and volume two and what those conversations were like. Okay, so after I do Reasonable Doubt, I'm thinking in my mind, that's it. You know, meaning even if Jay-Z doesn't come out any more albums because that was supposed to be his only one, I was thinking, all right, that was it. They, That was very nice of them to include me in the album. You know, that was great. Uh, how many times do you really remember a skit on an album, though? You know what I mean? Like, like they don't stand out as much as what the artist, the principal artist is, is, is rhyming about or his music. So I was in the office one day about three months after the album came out and um, I was watching footage of, cause they would do that. Jay Damon and Biggs and Irv would sit down and watch their show to see what they needed to improve, what they needed to do. So I was sitting with them in, in Damon's office, which is the main office. It was the big office. And we were watching a, a Jay performance and you see Irv, um, on the turntables, you see the crowd, you can see their hands, you know, it's like that, like that, but you see the main people. And I hear um, Jay-Z's off the stage. He goes, yeah, yeah, y'all, the fuck? And then all of a sudden I hear, da, 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 da. okay, I'm reloaded. And then I see the hands going like that, you know, because you could see the hands. And then I, I hear a little bit faintly them repeating. And then I hear him off stage says, your motherfuckers better get hyped to that shit. And I said, oh, shit, you know, like, wow, they they're playing the skit to open up his show. So now in my mind, it's no longer just a skit on the album. He's he's introducing himself with that. So I said, OK, like, I think this is going to be a little bit a little bit bigger than I expected that it was going to be. So um, now three months later, four months later, unfortunately, we lost Tupac and um we were about to lose Biggie, but him and Biggie got very close to a point where they were going to come out with an album themselves called The Commission. And it was very mafia um, themed. And at that point, I was going to be heavily involved because, you know, they were going to do that mob kind of theme. So I always see that as, as one that got away. You know, I mean, I, I was going to be on an album with, with, with Biggie and, and Jay-Z exclusively, just them two, a whole album together. Can you only imagine what that would have been like? Okay, so um, that, I figured, you know, he's going to come now out with a second album because of the success of Reasonable Doubt, and we've lost two of the greats, including one that, you know, him and and and, 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 and Jay were going to work exclusively. So um, he had to come out with this next one. He had to do it, you know, even though he didn't want to. And they just signed a new contract with Def Jam because of Reasonable Doubt. So because of the success of that, they it garnered them a record deal. That's why, like I said before, I always considered Reasonable Doubt the greatest demo tape in history of, of music because it didn't get him the record contract that he wanted. It got him the record deal that he wanted and they wanted and we wanted. So at that point, Def Jam was saying that you need to be the first artist to come out on your record label, you know, because we can push you now and then everyone else will come behind. So he said uh, one day in the office, he came up to me, he goes, well, you know, you got to do your thing again, right? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. You know, you know, I'm with it. I'm with it. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, oh, wow. OK, this is going to be a theme. He's going to use this as a theme. So he's like, oh, you better come hard with this. You better you better do something crazy because that first one was insane. I need something like that. So, um, again, Carlito's way playing a very important role in my life. I remembered the beginning of it. Somebody's pulling me close to the ground. I ain't panicked. Happened here before, so I was like, "Oh, that's you! You know, that's you! 
you ain't panicked. This is, you know, you're a street guy. You came out with your first album, which no one claimed they were going to come out with. And now you're doing it again. And then the most important part of his probably whole career, he says, I need you to throw in there that I'm not just a rapper. I'm a hustler. So that was something that he wanted in there. He wanted injected in there. It was one of the main points that he wanted to come across with that I'm not a rapper. I'm not a businessman. I'm not a, a, you know, a sports agent. I'm none of that. I'm a hustler. This is just what I happen to be hustling right now. Rap. And the next move will be me hustling the record company. And the next move will be me hustling in the business world. But I'm just a hustler. So that was very important to put in there. And um, I did. And of course, like I said, I did a lot of skits for that album. We were in D&D Studios again. This time it was a different vibe. It was me, Jay, Damon, Biggs. We were in um, the A room, not my premieres room this time. And it just had a vibe of family. You got to remember the first one, I was an intern that happened to get on the album. The second one, now I'm family with them. We're bugging out. We're having a good time. You know what I mean? And, and again, like I said, the era at that time was we've lost Tupac, we've lost Biggie. So Jay is the man right now. Jay is the one that the spotlight is on him. And this is a very important album for him because he's going to take that next proverbial step. We have that in sports a lot where, you know, here in the States where you start off by rebuilding, you get good players, young players. Then the next proverbial step is you win your division and maybe you lose in the playoffs that year, but then you come back next year and you take one step further and you win the first round and you're on to the second round. Maybe you lose in the second round and then the next year, you win the division, you dominate the division, you win the first round, you win the second round, now you're in the championship round. Pat Riley talked about that a lot, those proverbial steps that you take to becoming a champion. And I think that volume one time was him taking that next step going into the playoffs. Like, you know, that reasonable doubt was very much um, winning your division. All right, we clinched, now we're in. Okay, now we take the next step. Big is not here, Tupac is not here. Now it's your turn, you're in that championship round. It's your turn. And um, unfortunately, that particular album wasn't met with with the expectations that we had. But I think it was a perfect album because had it not or had it met those expectations, like Tenzer telling me, yo, you don't sound like him. I think that was very much um, entwined where at that moment, that was the fans telling Jay, yo, you don't sound nothing like Carlito's way. And it made him so angry that it leads to volume two and the success and the passion that he had in volume two, because maybe it was lacking a little bit, a little bit in volume one. It was still a great album, but the passion of, yo, F this, we're not going to make music for the radio. I'm going to be Jay-Z. I don't care what, what the, what's going on right now in, in commercial radio. I'm going to do what I do. And I think that was needed. And like I said, that's where the story kind of connects, where that was that tenser moment of him telling him, yo, you don't sound nothing like him. Yo, you're not the man. You're not the king of New York. Mm. And then he came back with the I'll show you. And that was volume two. So, but it was very important, too. You know, no, I was going to say, so with volume two and not to cut you, there's, there's a line you say on there. And I think it's a gift and a curse, pun intended. You say new and improved Jay-Z. How do you feel about right. that? 25 years later do you think it helped or harmed or and, and uh, whose who's decision was it to say that okay first of all it was jay's decision at the time and to put things into context you got to remember where we're at in that moment 
you know, hindsight and retrospect are great because you get you get a chance to look back. But when you're actually in that moment, Jay has only come out with two albums to that point. This being the third, me doing the intro to that. And at that point, they've done Coming of Age and they're about to do Coming of Age 2 on this new album. Um, so Jay is done. He's going to go back behind the, the desk and be the businessman. Bleak is going to now come to the forefront and be the main artist. So he wanted that, Jay. He wanted those words in there. And of course, they're also from Carlito's way, the ending. So volume one, volume two, volume one, I do the beginning of Carlito's way, volume two. I'm sorry, volume one, I do the beginning of Carlito's way, volume two, I do the ending of Carlito's way. So that and that two or those two volumes sort of close that chapter of Carlito's way and in essence, Jay-Z. That's it. So in Carlito's way, at the end, he goes, Gail's going to be a good mom. New, improved Carlito. So I said the skit to him. And he goes, no, 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 you're going to change that. You're going to say new, improved Jay-Z. Bleak's going to be the good rapper. So all right, cool. So that was necessary for him to be put in there. So Bleak now becomes the main guy. The spotlight's on him. Now, you asked me a question 25 years later. Do I look back at it as a, as a, as a curse on Bleak? First of all, I love Bleak. Bleak is my family. I think Bleak has had an outstanding Agreed. career. I think if you don't compare it to Jay-Z, his career is amazing. He's got such a catalog. Um, the things that he's done in hip-hop changed the course and the landscape of hip-hop. Bleak started the Jay-Z Nas beef. That all stems from Bleak. Bleak responded to Nas because of, of, of a uh, what he felt was a jab taken at him in one of the songs where he goes, I could put um, shots through your fitted cap, you know? So Bleak came back on um, Round Here, uh, or, or uh, Mind Right uh, to Tanaz, and then it became a thing, and then eventually Jay took over, and that became one of the greatest hip-hop beefs of all time. Bleak started that. Bleak discovered uh, T.I. Bleak discovered Rick Ross. Bleak discovered Doucet. Bleak did so many things that aren't spoken about that normally had Jay-Z not been in the equation would be considered something that, you know, like, oh my God, this guy has really, really um, been at the forefront of what hip hop is. But the curse being Jay-Z didn't stop after volume two. Jay-Z continued. And that only happened because of the fact of the success of um, Hard Knock Life. It led to a tour. It led, and then again, that hustler's mentality kicks in. Where, wait a minute, I can't stop right now. They they're buying the product. You know, if I'm pushing something, and they're and they're biting at it, you know, the bait, then you continue throwing your line out there into the water. The fish, you know, they're they're biting it. So um, he had to continue, which leads to volume three. You know, and 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 again, um, Bleak at the same time comes out with um, Coming of Age, which is a classic album classic yeah, so before album. we we talk about the skit on coming of age the thing also about bleak is he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the game and also Absolutely. rihanna rihanna's one of rihanna's first songs was with bleak that yeah, was true you know, so yeah bleak has been the platform yeah. for so many different artists that are still relevant today and huge today you know what i mean and, and he doesn't get enough credit for that again like i said even the do say the do say is such an important um potion or, 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 or uh, <laughs> asset to, to, to our little circle and also you know to, to, to the masses bleak discovered that 
that that's his hustler's mentality too. That he saw that, liked it, and brought it to to, to the family, and 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 became huge. So Bleak doesn't get enough credit. I, I do believe it is a gift and a curse that particular skit because it put a lot of pressure, maybe. But again, put yourself in that time. Jay Z was supposed to retire. That was it for Jay Z. So I mean, if he doesn't continue, then you know. We, we we see that statement as um, more impactful. It's still a powerful statement to me because even even after you said new and improved Jay-Z and then Bleak came in on that premiere beat, I was like, okay, right. okay, yeah, this yeah. is it. This is when he said um he told me park the car, keep the keys. I said, Oh yeah, he's 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 yeah, he's <laughs> off, he's off, he's off. Um yeah, Bleak is a monster. Bleak is a monster, definitely a, a, a incredible lyricist. Did he did he write you know that I mean? uh, intro? Of course. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's his. The only one that 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 where you all know that he didn't write was coming of age. And that's only because that Jay had that concept, you know, but bleak wrote everything. I mean, I mean, look at bleak's rhymes on, um, for the fam. I think that's one of the dopest rhymes in hip hop history. I mean, bleak is incredible. I thought Jay-Z wrote, I thought Jay-Z wrote the, um, hand it down. I no. love that. This is, this is my Rockefeller stand coming out. Bleak, bleak. It was the only thing was, the only thing was coming of age. Bleak was young too. You know, it was his first time, you know, it, he, the big homie's gonna help him out because, like, like Payne said, the vision. But after that, that's he was a true MC. After that, it was all him. Well, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put Bleak's career and um and and and, and lyricism in into perspective. Um, Jay wrote "Coming of Age." They wanted Shaheem originally to do that, um, but you know, for whatever reasons, I think you know they didn't want him to do it, which you know makes perfect sense now. Like again looking back in hindsight, like, oh, wow, why didn't he do it? But you got a picture at the time. Wu-Tang is the biggest thing in the world. He's a Wu affiliate. This is a new guy, and you're you're being like his son. You know, he's, you know, it wouldn't have made sense to to their, you know, with, with their situation. So, I mean, big shout out to Shaheem. I love Shaheem. He's, he's a friend of mine. But, you know, you can't blame him or, you know, say, or, or put the onus on him for not doing that. That, that was a, a smart move at the time for him not to do that. And it was perfect because it, it set the stage for Bleak. So to put it in perspective, his career, when Clark Kent, Jay, and um, them realized that it's going to be Bleak on there, Clark and all of them went to, to, to Marcy, to the projects, and got Bleak and first said, you'll rhyme for us. So even though it was going to be a written rhyme, they wanted him to rhyme for them. And as Clark famously says, he would keep saying, I right, keep going keep going and they were there for like four hours and bleak just was freestyling for four hours to audition to get on to coming of age just so he could spit jay's verses on there so that's how dope bleak was and that's how much they believed in him at such an early age that he was there for like four hours just spitting rhymes for clark and and clark you know being the um not pessimist but being you know this sort of a, a tough judge wanted to keep going keep going yeah let me hear more let me hear more and he just was there for hours and, and that's that puts bleak into perspective to show you how dope sticking with bleak i've got a quick question before i hand over to summit yeah. how come he wasn't on volume one do you know why yeah yeah i i actually do <laughs> um and bleak will tell you that himself uh after coming of age like with my story after um being on reasonable doubt you um pause end up getting a big head you're on a rap album you know, we're both the same age. Bleak is like maybe two months older than me. Uh, so we were both um, 17 at the time, 16 at the time. So imagine that, put it in perspective. You're a big hip hop fan and you're on this album that's now blowing up in the streets and that's you on there. You know what I mean? And you're still where you're at. You're still in the hood. I'm still in the hood. 
So people know that. They recognize that. So, you, you know, you're going to have a little bit of a, a, a bravado now. You, you think you're all that kind of, you know. So I think um, the situation came that Jay kind of got upset with me, too, and Bleak. But like, yo, yo, y'all getting too, matter of fact, this is his word. Y'all getting too comfortable now. And that's one thing I think that Jay is, is, is exercised throughout his whole career. He never got comfortable no matter where he's at, no matter what position, no matter how much um, financial, uh, uh, where he's at financially, he never got comfortable. So he didn't like that in me and in Bleak. Like, I'm getting too comfortable now. So as kind of like a punishment, he was like, you're not getting on volume one. But but it was the best learning experience for him and for me, meaning Bleak and me, because you're, he was right. He was absolutely right. And especially coming from the perspective he just came at, where he hadn't been signed, he'd been in the music business since 89. Like, this isn't easy like that. Just because you're rolling with me, don't think that it's going to come that easy. You're going to have to work for it. And that's something that um, has been very vital to everyone in Rockefeller, Rock La Familia, and Rock Nation, that you're going to have to work for what you're going to get. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to give it to you on the success that I have. That's one of the greatness of Jay-Z, and that's how much love he has, that he's not going to spoon-feed you something. I'm not going to give you a fish. I'm going to teach you how to go fishing so you can gather your own fish and you don't need me. And he does it in a way. It's tough love, but it is nonetheless mm. love. Yeah. No, agreed. I, and I've heard that many times about people who have been with him since then and, and even to now. There's no handouts here. You earn your place no. and, 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 in this good way. I was going to talk to you about coming of age skit. We can talk about that, but oh my lord, I forgot about Streets is watching, and ain't no jig is going to kill me. So we got to talk about we got to talk about Streets is watching, yeah. and we got to talk about talk to me about you know this is now from volume one, and then you got Streets is watching because he shows him. What are your what are some of your fondest memories of shooting Streets is watching and being with the family? Um, what was great about Streets is watching, uh, what happened was, uh, this is going to be a long story, so I hope well, you have some time here. What happened was after um, doing Reasonable Doubt, again, I was just a voice on the album. Then uh, right before volume one, we did a, um, a video. They, we shot a music video for um, Can't Knock the Hustle. Now, up to that point, every music video had been directed by Abdul Malik Abbott. This was the first time that he was going to go outside of um, working with someone directly that kind of knew him and, and, and knew his, uh, what he was trying to um, convey. This was someone new, but of course, not to someone new. This was the biggest hip hop director, or, or biggest music director in the business at that point. He had just done California Love. California Love was a movie in my mind with Dr. Dre and, and, and Tupac. It was insanity. I've seen movies that looked worse than this video. This video looked better than, than 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 movies that I've seen. So this is huge. We're getting hype. Hype is doing can't knock the hustle. So uh, we we started filming, and um, it, it was different for me because Abdul wasn't there. I was so used to Abdul always being there. So hype also had that kind of mentality of you know he's big. So he also quote unquote paused as a big head at that point. So I was like yo, you know you gotta get me in a shot. This and that we're gonna be doing this and that. He's just looking down like yeah yeah yeah. So I didn't like that. So when we get on the set, I started kind of dissing him, you know, like like making fun of him. And Damon, <laughs> being how he is, and Jay, being how they are, instead of telling me to stop, they start laughing at him, essentially. So we're like dissing this guy, snapping on him. So um, it's time to leave. And I'm like, you know what? F this. You know, I'm so mad I didn't get in the video. I'm like, I'm out of here. So one of the video um, 
promotional people at their label ran out. It's like, pain, 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 come here. Hype wants you. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, like he's going to get mad because I was like snapping on him. I was like, no, nah, I, I, I got to go. You know, I'm out of here. You know, no, 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 no. He wants you in a suit. He wants you to go in there and do something crazy. So um, I got dressed up in a suit and I go into this room down in the South Street Seaport in, in, um, in downtown Manhattan. It was like a big loft restaurant. And I walk into the room and I'm dressed up in my suit and Jay's there and Damon's there. All the Rockefellers in. As soon as I walk and everybody starts clapping, like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was like that first moment in my mind that I made it. So Hype was like, yo, you crazy, man. You want to make fun of me? Go ahead. Go do something crazy then. So I was like, I'm going to jump on the table. I'm going to dance on the table. Well, go ahead, do it. Jay was like, yeah, 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 do it. So there's all these beautiful models there, you know, and I'm, I, I love women, you know. So, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to get one of these girls. We actually man. used we so actually used that shot of you on the table for, for the promo video for, for the, the series. No, no, oh, my God. Great memories, man. Great memories. So, um. Right after we filmed that, we're downstairs and Hype was like, yo, man, you want to make fun of people this night? He's like, what are we going to do with you? I was like, I don't know. He goes, give me your number. So this was a, back then in 96, I had a pager. So I gave him my pager number. So about six months later, I get a page from a 212 number, which is a Manhattan area code. Now, when someone pages you back in the days from 212, it was a serious thing, you know? So I called up and they were like, uh, Big Dog Films. I'm like, uh, yeah, hi, somebody pays me from here? She goes, hold on. So... He gets on. It's Hype Williams. He goes, pain in ass. He goes, oh, my God, you're going to be the next um, Robert De Niro, man. I wrote a part for you in this movie. It's going to be a huge movie, this and that. And the movie was Belly. So he gave me the script, and I had a major, major role in that movie. Uh, the movie changed everything for me because Hype was close with Irv Gotti. So Irv let Jay and Damon know that Hype wrote this part for me in the movie and immediately Damon and Jay said, yo, we're managing you now. So that changed my whole life because at that point, I wasn't just the intern. I wasn't just the guy that happened to get on the album from being crazy in the label. Now they saw, you know, humbly, I want to say, a star quality in me. So they were like, yo, we manage you. So now I'm not just a family. I'm part of the Rockefeller umbrella. And I was going to be the first non-musical act sort of what, what Jay is doing now with Rock Nation on Rockefeller. So I was very excited about that. I went to a table read for the movie and Nas was there. Scarface the Rapper was there. Uh, Tyron Turner, who plays um, uh, Kane in Menace to Society, is there. Terrell Hicks is there from The Bronx Tale, one of my favorite movies. It's sitting at a table with me. I'm sitting at this table right next to Nas. Now, I'm a big hip-hop fan. Nas meant the world to us. So I'm reading with them and I'm being pain in the ass. So we go to a break in, 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 in uh, intermission, you know, where we eat. And when we come back from the break, uh, right before we come back, Nas comes up to me and says, yo, son, you ever acted before? I was like, nah, why? Who's your son? You got it. I'm like, wow. You know, I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. And I walk away. I'm like, yo, this is, you know, this is Nas telling me that he thinks I'm a good actor. I, mean, I never acted before in my life. So we come back from the break and Hype goes, I just spoke to the producers and they're saying that they're going to change Pain in the Ass's name in the movie to Pain in the Ass. Because I had a character name with name Kumatin. It was named Kumatin. And he goes, we're going to change it. And then they all start clapping. You know, Terrell Hicks is there. And I'm like, I, I had a crush on her from watching the Bronx Tale. I'm looking at her like, oh, wow. And I'm sitting next to Kane 
from Menace to Society, who I've seen that movie a billion times. And now they're talking about making me the focal point of the movie. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is incredible. But what happened was eventually um, the producers needed to cut characters because of budget reasons. So hype happened to cut my character and I was so pissed off. But what needed to be done was done by him doing that. So at that point, now volume one comes out and it's not met with the same expectations that they had. They tried to um, come out with with the, the singles that were on the record that were maybe uh, album cuts um, uh, ordinarily on another Jay-Z album. They tried to promote that as the singles. Um, you Belong to the City, Sunshine. Hype did the Sunshine video. And I think there was a little discrepancy with they didn't, weren't really happy with how he did that. So that also kind of caused a little bit of a separation. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and of course, you know, I'm Rockefeller. So, you know, whatever happened, happened. But because of the hype doing the Sunshine video and it not coming out the way they wanted to project Jay as, Damon came up with the brilliant idea of F this, it's almost over anyway. Fuck the industry. We're going to put out all the album cuts that are that are hard and we're going to make our own video. And that changed everything because of the fact that I was supposed to be in belly. They're like, yo, pain, fuck that. You lead off this movie. So it changed my whole life because with all due respect to hype, that movie, the character that I was playing maybe wasn't um, becoming a pain in the ass. Whereas Streets is watching now you put together the voice from the album with the visuals of me actually doing it. And it complete, that's the first moment that I realized now people on the street know who I am. And it was, per and it was perfectly put out at such a time where it was the dawn of DVD. So remember I was talking to you about the VHS of Scarface being the two tapes. This was now a DVD. So everyone had it. I remember walking down the streets and people like, yo, yo, that's you, that's you. And I'm looking around like, oh, oh, oh. They go, you. I'm like, oh, shit, me. Like, you know, my, my street instinct came like, yeah, I don't know you nothing. You don't know what are you talking about? But that was the first time that people actually started noticing and they put two and two together. And like, oh, but, and you do the voices on the album too. And that changed my whole life. And I, I thank Hype for considering me being in Belly. Belly is a street classic, a, a cult classic. That's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, of course, it would have been great if I would have been in it, but um, I think it was more beneficial to me to be in Streets is Watching. You want to know my mentality at the time. Um, I was supposed to be, like I said, in the Belly movie. We were supposed to have that reading that I referred to a little earlier. Uh, and this was in May of 1997. It was supposed to take place in April of 1997. So again, I get a page from my sister in April of 97. Um, so I call back on a, on a payphone. I'm like, hey, what's up? She goes, oh, they called from like some film company. They said that the uh, the the reading has been canceled. I'm like, cool, cool. Uh, what's up? What's up? She says, nothing. You know, I I know you get like mad if I don't tell you things. Like, what the hell are you talking about? She goes, you, you, your grandma, grandma just died. I'm like, what? You know, and at that point, you know, my grandmother was everything. You know, my mother had died seven years earlier when I was 12. My father has another family and he's doing what he's doing. So my grandmother was my life. And it happened to be on that day that she called and said that and just like my heart dropped. So my mentality filming Streets is Watching and, and, and being in that reading was very heavy hearted. You know, I didn't have 
my my by my my grandmother i didn't and i didn't at that point i didn't want to live anymore i don't I'm not saying that i didn't want to kill myself but i didn't mind dying because i felt that there's nothing here and there's nothing here for me um so i started acting out a lot you know a lot you know while and out to a point where i don't give a shit what happens there's, like i said there's nothing here for me anyway or nothing here is stable anyway everything is going to be lost so i don't give a shit and that's when like i made that turn at that point and filming that movie, Streets is Watching, which was November of 97, I had that mentality. I don't give a shit at this point. You know, whatever B will be, I don't I don't care. And it stemmed from, you know, my grandmother passing. So and, and also not being in belly, like all these promises that were broken. I, I really didn't give a shit. So it's funny how God works or it's funny how life works itself out that he didn't give me one thing and he took away one thing only to give me another that I didn't realize how great that was that would lead to later on in my life, me looking back and saying, wow, what a stupid mentality I had at that point, thinking I didn't want to live or I didn't care if I died when he had so much greatness ahead of me, so much purpose ahead of me because of the fact that Streets is watching and people noticing who I am. When people come up to me today and be like, oh, your skits or what you did, they affected me like, like, like it meant a lot to me at that time. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I touched people's lives you know, what I was doing, my anger and, and, and whatever I was doing at that point actually touched someone like Tupac earlier that we were referring to with the thug life, baby, I'm hopeless. He's talking to those people. I didn't realize I was talking to those people as well. I was so crazy and so angry that I didn't realize the importance of me. And that's one thing that's important to anybody that's trying to make it in life. Realize the importance of what you're doing. I know that people want to rap and they want to do whatever they do for sometimes the spoils, you know, the girls, the money, but your voice is very important. Your voice sparks something in people and you have to be prepared for success. That's one thing I was not. And one thing Jay-Z was always prepared for success. I compare it to people playing the lottery. I'm going to play the lottery tonight. Okay. But what are you going to do if you actually win? No one's actually prepared for that. They just, like they say, a dollar in a dream. They're just dreaming. I'm going to buy a car. I'm gonna do it. What are you going to do when you actually win, though? There's a chance you might win. So Jay-Z actually won the lottery, and he was prepared for the next move. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he executed. I wasn't. Like I said, due to the death of my mother and then the death of my grandmother and all that. And uh, my father would promise me things and never, like, he would promise he was going to come see me and never show up. So when that belly thing happened, it kind of, like, brought up old wounds that made me very angry. I wasn't prepared for success. And I only realize now when people come up to me and say, you know, what you did, like, wow, you don't understand. Like I would be in the locker room and we would play your skits or you know, I would be at home and we would play the skits and I would get hyped up. Like I didn't realize how important I was and I wasn't prepared for success. And that's one thing you absolutely need to be when you venture out to do anything in life. Be prepared for that winning lottery ticket. Don't just play the lotto. Be prepared to have your ticket be the think, winner. Um... It's very important that you mention that because it's one of the reasons why we like to speak to people that we grow up, grown up on, we have affinity to, or people that we want to pay homage to, because it's also about flowers. Because like you said, sometimes you don't even know the effect you might have on someone, but speaking to people like me or Chris or other people in the realm of, in, in the medium of what we're doing, you just, 
you just don't know how people feel about you until you venture outside of your space, your bubble, your, 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 I guess your inner circle. And then you can really realize, you know, so, you know, seeing, seeing your voice being heard with J Cole when he was before his album was coming out is a wonderful thing, right? Static Selector putting you on his album and kind of recreating that is brilliant, right? Big Cap as well. I Big remember Cap as well. Yeah, the, yeah, the tunnel. Album. I mean, the yep. tunnel just, I mean, Jesus, like that, that in itself is, is iconic, but being part of that. So, part of what we want to do is also to celebrate that because it's not just about we want to talk to people and go oh look we're stunting on the gram or in the charts or whatever no actually it's about talking to people that have affected and and and, and made contributions to the culture that we are we have been graciously allowed in and been able to to really be part of and go hey thank you and it's 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 one of those well, okay. things so yeah, well, it, I- it's an honor. It's funny you brought up the tunnel because again, that that I have a funny story with that. Um, my my career, I would say, has been very much come back, come back, come back. Meaning, not being in belly, come back with streets is watching. Um, yo, put me in the video. No, all right, come back and get and be the main star in it. The tunnel album is very um, particular because I seen Funkmaster Flex outside of one of the clubs he was DJing at the time. I adjusted reasonable doubt. So people were recognizing my voice. He was coming out with um, Funkmaster Flex mixtape volume two. They were very big at the time. And they were actual mixtapes that were put out by a Loud. record label. They were put out by a lot of records. So I seen him outside. I'm like, yo, I'm the one that does all the voices on Jay-Z's album, man. Let me let me start off your, your, your album. He's like, yeah, man. All right, man. Let's see. Let's see what's up. So uh, I actually put a, a a little demonstration for him, and I sent it to him with with, with my manager at the time, Beehive. Beehive was managing me at the time, yeah. So Beehive had me go into Henchman Studios and lay down something for him, you know, because Beehive is so smart too. He's also a very um, unsung businessman and part of the, that that circle. Um, so Beehive was like, "Yeah, put together some phone painting and give it to him." I was like, "All right, cool." So I gave it to him, and they ended up not using it. This was right after a uh, reasonable doubt. Come the tunnel time, it's now 99. I've already done volume one and now volume two, which I do Fuck You Pay Me, which becomes like a rally call in hip hop. He contacts me and goes, yo, yo, man, you, you got to do this tunnel album painting. It's going to be insane, boy. Yeah, man, do it, man. I was like, how funny my career has been that here I was kind of like asking to be on it and then coming full circle to a point where now I was being asked to be on it, you know? So I think that very much played um, into my career of going from one point of, of nothing to going to another point of everything. And I think that also psychologically, I wasn't prepared for either. You know, when you're begging for something and begging for something and begging for something, eventually you get sick of it. And then when you're given it, you're like, oh, I was already sick of it, but I'm still happy I got it. You start wilding out, you know what I mean? I mean, you gotta figure, I could put my career in perspective. I, I was going to college at the time of this whole thing happening. I was taking um, communication classes because I wanted to do radio. I wanted to be a broadcaster. I love uh, uh, baseball. I wanted to be a baseball announcer. At that time where all this is happening, I was contacted by Mike Kaiser from uh, Def Jam and it beeped me, again, beeped me and says, yo, the ice queen wants you. I'm like, who the hell is the ice queen? The Ice Queen was uh, Tracy Clarity, who was um, the program director of Hot 97. So I'm going to college for broadcasting uh, school cl- classes. And then now I meet up with this woman. She goes, yeah, all right, I'm going to put you on the air. Um, you're going to be on from 4 to 8 in the morning. I, 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 you're, you're great. Your voice is great. And I'm like, all right, cool. 
So I would go do radio on the biggest station in the number one market in New York City. And then I would go to school to take communication classes to do essentially what I'm doing right now. So now I would be in class with these kids at the time were basically kids like, yo, I heard you on the radio. While I was getting dressed. And this is when radio was huge. You know, radio, this is like now where you download things or you listen to your whatever. Radio was the go to. It was social media at the time. So I'm sitting in class being disruptive and the teacher's like, you're never going to go anywhere. If you listen to me 20 to 30 years from now, one of you people in this classroom will be on radio like Miss, but he's on radio right now. I'm like, yeah, well, actually, I'm on the number one market and the number one station. So that was it's very confusing to do that. I mean, you're 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 on, but now you're you're trying to go through the motions to get on when you don't have to do that. You've already skipped all those levels. So it was very yeah. confusing for me. You know, I didn't really understand where I was at. Yeah. You know, Did, speaking of comebacks. Right. And I didn't realize before I hand over to Chris, what I didn't realize and I might be wrong here. I was looking at the credits and you're credited on the prelude on Kingdom Come. So I didn't realize yeah. that. I did not realize this until yeah. very recently that, yeah. oh shit, because I always assumed it was from Superfly and I thought, oh, they just, I just thought it was from the movie and I didn't realize yeah. you were on that. So talk to us about that kind of circle moment where you're talking about comebacks and then you come on, you are now again right. back on Jay-Z's comeback album after his, you know, his failed, right. I've retired for the 57th time. Um, talk to us about <laughs> that, because I genuinely, mind blown, I didn't realise it was you. Now I hear it, and then I can hear your inflection right at the end. I was like, oh, that's pain. But I didn't, I, thank God for Tidal. Thank God for Tidal, because I wouldn't have realised. You know, you got that fantasy about getting out of the life and getting into that other world. What the fuck you going to do except hustle besides pimping? You really ain't got the stomach. Yeah, that was a dope one. The thing is that after volume three, that was sort of the last skit that I did because that was it at that point. You know, at that point, he was seriously done. I'm done. Now I'm in the business mode. But something happened. Something funny happened at that point. Um, Big Pimpin' blew up. And Big Pimpin' took him to another level of fan base. You know, he went from the hood to, you know, middle America. Where, where they were playing him, uh, and I was having this conversation with somebody else. Jay, even with the, like, New York is so incredible because he transcends genres. It's not no longer Hot 97 just playing him. It's KTU, the dance station. It's Light FM, the, uh, you know, the Whitney Houston and and, and uh, Michael McDonald station. He transcends that. So, But that was the very beginning with Big Pimpin'. He went from the hip-hop stations to now the dance stations are playing him. Dun, 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 and he did a remix for it and everything. So at that point he was done, but then we were going to do a compilation album, which was ended up being Rock La Familia album. But that was going to be a compilation album. I was very much heavily involved in that. Bleak and C's were going to do songs together. It was going to compare you know, people with and, and do songs. But Jay did one song and he kind of liked the way it sounded and he kind of liked the way it felt. So all of a sudden it transformed from a compilation album to a Jay-Z album because he got in the zone. He got into a zone again. And when Jay gets into a zone, all you do is back up and let him do what he does do. So that album transformed into a Jay album, but I'm not on it because it was supposed to be the compilation. So it was very, it was, it was makeshift. It was quickly put together. And unfortunately for me, it kind of set the trend 
and tone of him doing freestyles to intro himself. He starts that with Rock La Familia and then he does that on the blueprint. And these are all one year apart. They're very close in proximity. So it was now, now the trend was that, that he does that. So, you know, people always ask me like, yo, how come, you know, what happened with you and not doing it? He changed, he pivoted at that moment. He made that pivot from that mafioso um, street gangster to now taking it to the next step. So for the 10 year anniversary of Reasonable Doubt, we did a concert at um, a Radio City Music Hall. So we practiced all like for about a week in Sony Music, uh, Sony Studios, we were there. And while we were there, he starts playing me some of the tracks that he has. So he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, uh, this, this one would be good if he, he was on that, man. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be good right there. Yeah, yeah. I was like, your, right, your impressions cool. are spot yeah, on. <laughs> so he's like, uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, he already had what he wanted in, in mind. He wanted that from, 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 from that movie. But what is not spoken about is that leading up to those times, I had done skits for him. I had done stuff, ideas that I had in mind. And we were going to use a few, but they never panned out. I had a Tony Soprano skit that I did for him because it was big at that point um, that, that we were going to do. It, it played on the, um, the saying that he had that the inmates run the asylum now. You know, that was something that he was saying during the time where he was president at, at, at Def Jam. I had a skit for him there. I had another skit for him that was going to be on the, um, the Diamonds Are Forever a remix, but it just didn't pan out. So leading up to it wasn't like that I disappeared or anything like that. It was just, you know, it, it didn't fit with what he was doing until we get to the kingdom come and we were kicking it for that whole week. And, and we were just working in the studio like, quote unquote, the old days or the old times, even though it only been 10 years up to that point. Now it's been 25, but at that point, it only been 10 years. So we had that vibe again. You know what I mean? We got into that mode again. And like I said, working with him in the studio is just, you know, it's like riding a bike. You know, you, you get into it and then he knows what he wants. You come up with a concept. Nah, 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 get rid of that part. Yeah, 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 put that part. And then you just you go in there and lay it down. And I was very impressed with the way that one came out because that was the first one that was sort of outside the box for me. You know what I mean? It was all Carlito's way and, and Scarface. That was the first time that it was known that, okay, you do different voices. And that actually led to me having a career in doing national radios ads for, for you know, companies and this and that because it's like, oh, okay, he's not just a voice of, you know, doing gangster movies. He can do much more with it. His voice is an instrument, if you will. And it was all again, thanks to Jay. Awesome. Awesome. Before we, before we wrap up pain, um, I had an epiphany moment this morning and yeah. I was thinking about characters on hip hop albums. So, you know, yourself, uh -huh. um, Reverend Easy Dick. Yeah. I think you are the precursor to the mad rapper. It hit me this morning. I think you inspired the mad rapper. Uh, well, that would be great if I did. I mean, the Mad Rapper is actually a friend of mine. He's a real we love cool him. guy. Uh, we were him. actually, we were talking, we were talking to somebody about, you know, how they have these verses now, bro. The pain in the ass versus the Mad Rapper. But but it wouldn't it wouldn't be a versus itself. It would be the intro to a verse. <sighs> so in other words, three three of your intros, three of my intros, and then then we go into the actual verses. It's like an undercard. Maybe do that for Beans and Nori because Nori's bugging out here. Right, right. Like you said, like an undercard yeah. or an intro to, yeah. to the verses. Which is the who are some itself. of your yeah. um who are some of your favorite hip hop characters from, from albums? Well, definitely the mad rapper is up there as number one. Uh matter of fact, um Benny the Butcher 
uh, an affiliate of the team recently came out with an album of yes, yes, the yes, yes. where I do the intro and then he has the mad rapper also on there. That's an idea that a lot of people had over the years. Like, yo, I want to get both of y'all on an album. We're actually going to do a song together. We were supposed to do an album together, but it never panned out again, yeah, right. too. Like so many ideas that were in the book. But um, he's one of my favorite characters. Um, of course, um, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop on, on, on the chronic with the uh, the WD. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Nori's album, also Animal Cub. Yeah. I don't know if you remember him. He was actual. Uh, he was actual delivery guy that came to the studio and went in there, and uh, they were like messing around with him, like, "Yo, yo, Animal Cub, come here, come here, come here," and, and he like ended up doing the skits on there. Um, who else do I like? Uh, there's been so many. It's been so. Well, of course, like back then, in the mid '90s. It would be, like I said, scenes from a movie. It would be actual scenes from a movie. So those characters, like I said, sparked me and or sparked something in me to do what I did. Uh, obviously, the Raekwon um, criminology, when I told you a long time ago, you little monkey fuck, that was, hey, hey, who the fuck are you talking to? Like, I love that. You know, that was a character in itself. Or, or in Fat Joe's album, um, The King of New York part, you know. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjacks, no dope deals, no nothing. Something goes down on Breaking Adams. I want in. You guys got that out there. We're making all those podcasts. We want in. You know, like it was just, it was just those characters itself made me want to see those movies. And making me want to see those movies made me create these characters or these voices in my head to put on these albums. So those obviously have to be one of the most important album characters were the actual characters from these movies yeah. that they put. Or Wu Tang. Wu Tang did that a lot. Even with the, you know, um, Toad style is a mince you know, that, that, those characters, like, yo, I want to see that. Mm. Well, what is that? Oh, that's the five deadly venom. Oh, I got to see that then. I got to see that. They introduce you to that. Uh, that. That's one thing that's very good about our culture, too, and our genre is they, they're very um, influential and make you want to seek knowledge or, or continue to investigate what that is because they're your favorite. Um, rapper is, is speaking on it or the crew is, is is emulating that like what are they doing yeah yeah the last question i want to ask you your memories of adrian vargas who like in terms of who he was um in his personality his skill set and what he means to you and the history of rockefeller adrian is a great friend and he's, he's dearly missed um at the beginning the first times being in the office on 17 john street it was like a little loft in this manhattan office uh overlooking like we were towered by the twin towers the world trade center was right above us so we could see it almost touch it um adrian was one of the first people that i met in there and uh he was very honest very real i think that's one thing about rockefeller too at the beginning that they all had that they were very real and more importantly they were being very real with me I knew that we're, they were being genuine, and that's the difference. I mean, you hear that all the time, like, oh, that person's real because they kill people and they do that, but are they being real with you? Are they being genuine with you, or are they trying to pull a fast one over on you? And I can tell that they were being very real with me, and, and in particular, um, Adrian. He was being real with me. Uh, I remember one conversation we had um, that always sticks out is that at that point, Bad Boy was so big and they were having a party that night at the Palladium nightclub in New York City. I'm like, yo, Adrian, how are we going to get in? How are we, we going to do this? He goes, well, we'll see. You know, maybe I'll call my friend this and that. He goes, don't worry about it, though. Once Rockefeller blows up, we're going to be on every guest list. And I, I, it always stuck out to me every time I 
step into a party or I step into an event, I think of Adrian. Like you were right, man. You're right. We are on every guest list. We are on every um, VIP section now because we blew up. Like your prophecy came true. And he's the one that designed that logo. He's the one that those chains that you see, that's all Adrian. You know, um, he went off and, and, and branched off and did his own thing. But he was always Rockefeller and he was always very much part of that beginning stages. And uh, like I said, he's completely missed and, and he's, he's Rockefeller family. And he'll always be mentioned. And every time we see that logo, you think of Adrian Vargas. Yeah. Rest in peace, Adrian Vargas. Yo, Payne, this has been an absolute pleasure once again. You have once again truly blessed us. There's things I thought I knew. I don't know every, I don't know. I thought, you know, I'm the Rockefeller Stan. I am the Rockefeller Stan on this podcast. I am the Jay-Z Stan, but you just, you keep opening up chambers that I didn't know existed. Um, and that is a testament to all the work you've put in, the person that you are, and the gems that you continue to bless us with. So thank you very much. And I want to thank you both. And I want to give a, a huge shout out to everybody in UK and, and Chris and Summit. And I want to leave with this piece of advice know your importance and be prepared for your success don't be like me don't be a uh um uh, casual t- uh, what is that a uh, cautionary tale like pain and ass be prepared for success whatever that may be whether it be music whether it be in, in the business that you're starting or school be prepared for your success because it's going to come and when it does if you're ready you're going to be on top much love to pain once again for blessing us with his time um i really enjoy talking to that guy i think we i think it's one of those things where we could just sit in a bar like many of the guests we've had um we could just sit in the bar and talk for hours and i'll have my um what, what do they call club soda is that the kind of non-alcoholic drink is that you bro you, you drink club I don't soda know what club soda is i just no nah, i don't know what that is either it, man uh, nah, lemonade man. we drink we drink we drink hardback drinks over here bro <laughs> we need something like with henny in it some douce man said club I'm you, soda man, you know i'm telling you Nah, bro. Man said, "Listen, man went from club soda to do say you are one confused you, bro." I'm, I'm talking like, about you, not club me. I'm talking soda. about you to have. No, 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 no. I, I, I drink um Jack Daniels, bro. Okay, okay. So fine, fine. fine. I'm a killer like fine, that. Fine, fine, fine. So no do say for you. I thought you know. No, no. I mean there will be, there will be, there you know, will keeping be. Keeping it in the you know, Rock Nation. Yeah, I know, I know, you know, I know, I know, I know what you're doing. Carter Knowles family. I, I know what you're doing, and I appreciate it. But pain in the ass is he's a legend, man. Yeah. Lots of life experience. Yeah. Lots of life experience. He did the whole make it work for you in the podcast series. Then he came back with know your importance and be prepared for your success. Come on, man. Yeah, that's true. Come on, man. That's gospel, man. That's that's bro. Yeah. He basically he was talking to us. <laughs> he was talking. No, I'm, I'm being serious, bro. Uh, no, I, I know. Like, I, this I is, laugh a, this is a message for now. I laugh because I didn't realize it when he said it. I laugh because I heard him loud and clear. I said, okay, I hear you. Message received. Wow. Know your importance and be prepared for your success. Wow. Yeah, I didn't see. I I wasn't impressed. I wasn't present in that moment when he said that. Come on, bro. I I got mic drop moments too, you know. (laughs) It's not, it's not just, it's not just Kathy, Ian Doley out here with the mic drops, you know. Chris has a couple himself still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, get me. Yo, Phillips and that. Yo, Kathy liked the fact that. Shout out to Kathy and yo. Kathy liked the fact that we called, um, we called her the mic dropper. No, she she's she's dope. Did you um did you see her tweet about Umlot J? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bro, I made a playlist called Umlot J. You know? 
shout out to Kathy. Nah, shout out to, yeah, to everyone. Time. We, you know, that that yeah. was a very successful um, series, um, and you know, that's that's two people uh, plus the engineer. Shout out to Imperial Dave Walker. You know, three mm. people who essentially put that whole thing together uh, in a matter of a couple of months, and to do it at that standard and to 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 reach people who were at Rockefeller who are at Rock Nation, who are at OVO, who are at some of the biggest, some of your, some of the biggest, I'm going to stunt now, some of the biggest people in our culture have heard that series. That is incredible for two guys from Northwest London, me originally from West London, then moved out to the Upside Down world. That is an... In- yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't claim Northwest London, bro. I know, you, you're Northwest London, right? I'm, I'm West London. That's right. Raheem Sterling and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm... Yeah, that that in itself is an achievement because, like I said, with pain, we we are not supposed to succeed, but we're gonna succeed. You know why? Because of who we are, what we can do, and the drive that we have. Make it work for you. Make it work for you. That's still stuck with me. I've always got a shot. I've always got always. a shot. Always. Make it work for you. Make it work for you, bro. That's it. Turn off your mic, innit? Make it work for you. <laughs> <laughs> we still doing it. Make it work for you. <laughs> Now I got I got to eat some uh, dal and that now and I'm hungry. Um, yeah, got to eat food. I got to eat, eat some. I got to eat some dal. But man had a salmon and a pasta still. Okay, all right, all right, okay, okay. Making it work for me. Making work, it work for me. Making it work for you. But no, again, look, pre- appreciate pain. Um, love is always. Um, but you can catch us on social at Break the Atoms Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Chris's uh, personal handle is at I Am Kinetic Minds is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We will be back with more legendary people on the Breaking Atoms podcast very soon. Until then, peace. Peace. peace.